Tonight, we have the privilege of, of getting really into a, a sort of wonderful uh, area of theology that, that just really excites me, um, an area of theology that, that probably excites a lot of you guys out there, uh, an area of theology that, at the same time, it excites us, it somewhat scares us as well. Um, and this is the area of end times, the end, end times, the study of uh, of end times is often referred to, many of you have heard this phrase before, eschatology. Uh, the word eschatos is the transliteration of the Greek word, uh, which means last. And so eschatology is the study of last things or the study of last times. And this is just, like I said, just a wonderful area of theology. It's one that I believe is b being neglected, uh, even by Christians, um, for the wrong reasons. It's one that... Uh, really brings a lot of encouragement once the believer starts to really delve into it and understand uh, all the riches that come from the study of end times. And so tonight we'll talk specifically about end times as it relates to the church, of course. That's been the topic of this semester. Uh, you can see at the top of your handouts, I've titled this message, The Church in the End Times. And really the one big question, guys, that uh, will be answered tonight and so if there's any time you're really going to focus this now, the one big question that's going to be answered tonight is, where will the church be? Uh, where will the church be in the end times? And so just for your sake and sort of for mine as well, I want to give you a sort of outline of the night. Um, to start off, uh, the sort of first section of this message, I want to talk about why it's important. And that's really a crucial area. I want to talk about why it's important to know about in times. And then moving on from there, um, I'm going to go into defining and defending uh, a sort of phrase in the theological realm that's called a pre-tribulational rapture. Pre-tribulational rapture. I know that sort of sounds really heady, but it's really not. It's really not. It's quite easy to understand, and pretty soon uh, I'm going to break it down for you and define it. And so first, the sort of first I want to... We're going to talk about why it's important to understand eschatology, why it's important to, to understand end times, and then we're going to define and defend the pre-tribulational rapture. And then to close, I want to apply it to our lives. And the, for, the first section uh, of this message, why it's important, sort of talks about the application, uh, but also I want to close with an application after we get done with defending and defining uh, the pre-tribulational rapture. And so you can follow along. You have notes. I sort of did the blank deal again so you can sort of, sort of keep, you, uh, to keep you in the message uh, if you would like to do that. And so why is it important? Why is it important to know about end times? Um, and I really just want to make a few points concerning this sort of area or this question. Uh, you know, the study of end times often scares a lot of Christians, it does. I think you guys know that. And there really are two leading reasons for that. Uh, the first being uh, a lot of Christians believe that the study of end times is just too difficult. Have you ever felt that way before? It's just too hard uh, to understand. And this is really just really, ladies and gentlemen, it's an unfortunate reality. Uh, we might hear of a person studying through the book of Revelation or studying through the book of Daniel, and we give them this look like, really? Why? want to study all this language about dragons flying around and you want to get into that and, and really lying underneath that is this sort of misconception out there that 
that if you're not a Bible scholar, if, if you're not a pastor, if you haven't devoted your life to studying the word of God, um, then end times just really isn't going to make sense. And this is just not true, ladies and gentlemen. It's not true. Uh, you don't need a Bible degree. You don't need to be a Bible scholar to crack open the book of Revelation, uh, to open up the book of Daniel. You don't need to be a scholar. Um, and I, make no mistake, I, I want to be careful in what I'm saying here. I'm not saying understanding the, these things is going to be a walk in the park, but it is going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it once you understand uh, what the end times teaches, what the Bible teaches about end times. And, and the second sort of leading cause for a lack of end time studies is the sad reality that so many people are afraid of what the word of God has to say about the end times. Uh, they're afraid to, to sort of face the truth of what God's word has to say about the end times. And, and it's on this note, guys, that I want to encourage you, believers in the room, unbelievers, you have reason to be fearful, and we'll talk about that later. But believers in the room, I, I just want to make a quick statement. We win. We win. Actually, I was laughing. I was talking with this with Rachel, and I was like, you know, when I when I was given this topic, the church and end times, I'm like, okay, what am I going to say? The church and end times. We win, and then walk away, and that's it. Um, but obviously, I'm given a little bit more time than that, so I had to, to to prepare a message. But believers, we win. We win. Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ is reigning as king uh, on the throne, and he is always and will always and has always been in control. Uh, the culmination of this age, if you will, uh, or, the, or the culmination of this life, this time here on earth, uh, is on his watch. And it's on his plan. And so with that, I want to say to the believers, there's no need to be afraid concerning the truths of end times. Believers are victorious, and I hope to show you that today as I defend and define a pre-tribulational rapture. And so, we still haven't got into it yet. Why is it important for us as Christians to know and understand end times? Here's the first reason. Because 1 Timothy 2.15 tells us it's important. Because 1 Timothy 2.15 tells us it's important. Paul says there, uh, he commands Timothy, he says, listen, be a worker. Uh, be an unashamed worker who, who works hard to rightly divide the word of truth. And that's not just a command there for Timothy, that's a command to us as well. Uh, the believers to seek to understand all of the scriptures, all of it, including in times. Uh, Paul in Acts chapter 20, when he was departing from uh, his Friends in Ephesians, he had spent three years there. He told him this. He, he said, listen, guys, I'm innocent of your blood. And, and you know why? Because I spent three years there uh, uh, going house to house in public, uh, trying to preach the whole counsel of God, he says, the whole counsel of God. Ladies and gentlemen, we should be the same. We should be the same. We should seek to understand all of Scripture. We should seek to proclaim it all, even in times. Believer in a discipleship relationship, uh, what are you to do when your disciple asks you about the tribulational period and when it will happen and what will happen during that period? What are you going to answer? Uh, what are you to do when your disciple asks you about the difference between the second coming of Jesus Christ and the rapture? How are you going to respond? Do you know about that? 
How will you answer? How will you answer when your disciple Lee asks you about the difference between covenant theology and dispensationalism? What are you going to say? Many of you are like, what? What's that? <laughs> uh, we as Bible believers, we as Bible teachers, uh, we must seek to understand and to rightly handle all of Scripture, ladies and gentlemen, all of it, even the end times. So the first reason uh, we must understand end times or why it's important is because Paul says it's important. Paul says we need to understand it, to work hard, to rightly handle it in 2 Timothy 2.15. Second reason we need to understand in times is because under, understanding in times, ladies and gentlemen, listen to this, it helps us to be obedient. It helps us to be obedient. According to Romans 8, uh, uh, verse 18, it, it was the understanding of in times that caused Paul to be obedient in the area of suffering. Why don't you go there to, to Romans chapter 8? I wasn't going to turn your attention there, but this verse is just too good. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings, and trust me, ladies and gentlemen, read 2 Corinthians Chapter 11, Paul had sufferings. He, he says, for I consider that the, the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's not, it's nothing. It pales in comparison. It, it was the end times that caused Paul to be obedient in the area of suffering. It caused him to endure uh, harsh times. A year in Romans Flip a couple books to the right, actually one book to the right in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Many of you know this chapter. This is sort of the resurrection chapter. Paul's just laboring to teach the church in Corinth about uh, the truth that believers, both, uh, both believers and unbelievers are going to be raised from the dead because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Look at what he says in verse 56 to 58. He says, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was trying to tell uh, the believers in Corinth, listen, we have victory. We have victory because our Lord Jesus Christ defeated death. We're going to defeat death. Isn't that a rich truth? Look at what he says in the previous verse, verse 55. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And for the believer, it's nowhere. We, we no longer have that sting of death. We have defeated death. Paul was trying to teach these believers that. But look at what he says. Look at, look at his incentive. Look at what it, he wants to cause these truths concerning the end times to do in these believers in Corinth life. Look at verse 58. He says, therefore, uh, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul says the truth of the resurrection should stir up the believer to be steadfast in his walk, should cause him to be obedient in doing the work of the Lord. Believer, have you been sort of tired of trying to adhere to all that Scripture says? Has the world sort of been weighing down on you? I would, I would encourage you, look into the end times. Look into the end times. We win. We win. Remember, death no longer has a sting on us. Paul used that as an incentive for the believer to be obedient. And so the second reason, uh, the second reason, uh, that the Christian should study in times is because it causes us to be obedient. 
And if you're taking notes, I want you guys to, not, not now, but look at James chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. It's just a great, uh, going along with uh, the study of end times causing us to be obedient to Scripture. This, that's a great passage as well. Just don't have time to go there. And so the last reason, the last reason why believers ought to study end times is this. It's because it grows our hope. It grows our hope. Ladies and gentlemen, as we face uh, persecution, which we will face more and more, it's not really present here in the States, but we will face it more and more. Man, we need to really know the end. We need to really understand end times. It's going to give us hope. It's going to give us hope. It's going to enlarge in. It's going to enlarge our hope. And so the last reason why we ought to study end times is because it increases our hope. First uh, Peter 3 tells us that. First Peter 3, verses 3 through 9. And so let's move on now to defending and defining a pre-tribulation rapture. Pre-tribulation rapture. I want to define that term for you first. What is pre-tribulation rapture? What is a pre-tribulation rapture? And really to understand this, I got to explain two things to you, and then I'm going to sort of put it all together. I'm going to talk about tribulation, and then I'm going to talk about rapture. And then pre-tribulation or rapture is going to make sense as I sort of put the two together. And so tribulation, tribulation, this is the period in which God will deal out his retribution on the unbelieving world. He's going to deal out his retribution most of us know that uh, this time of judgment is, is uh, captured in the book of Daniel, and it's also captured in the book of Revelation. It's taught extensively there. Um, it's the time that is going to be a seven-year period that is separated into two sort of sections uh, of three-and-a-half-year periods, really sort of broken off into three-and-a-half-year periods. It's the period in which God wishes to deal with his people Israel, See, most people don't understand that the end times really is purposed to deal with the people of Israel. Uh, God still has a plan for them. Romans chapter 11 tells us he's blinded them for a time. Uh, but the end times is sort of going to be the start of God's restoration to his people of Israel. And he's going to really bring them back to salvation through judgment. Through judgment. Paul talks about the tribulation in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, he says there that it will be the time when God will inflict vengeance upon the unbelieving world. It's a time where God will send believers to suffer eternal punishment away from him and away from his glory forever, forever. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 24. Look at what Jesus had to say about tribulation. This, of course, is the Olivet Discourse. Uh, Jesus had told the disciples, listen, the temple is going to be destroyed. He says, not one of these stones will still be standing. And then this led the disciples to ask the question, well, Lord Jesus, when is this going to happen? When is the, the temple going to be destroyed? And then they asked another question, when is the closing of the age? When are you going to return? And this just sort of leads Jesus off into this long discourse of end times and what's going to happen uh, before he returns. And he talks about a lot of things uh, in Matthew chapter 24 to Matthew chapter 25. And it's also recorded in Mark chapter 13. We as a church, we know we just went through it very extensively. Pastor Brian did a wonderful job talking about the Olivet Discourse. But in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus talks about, he talks about, the tribulation period. And listen, what's, listen to what he says in, in verse 21 
and 22 concerning the tribulation. He says, for then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. Verse 22, and if those days, that is the tribulational days, had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Jesus says about the tribulation, he says, it's going to be unprecedented, unprecedented. Such times have never occurred in history past, never. And this is really just an amazing statement in light of all the catastrophes that have happened uh, and taken place in human history when you think about it. When, when, I, when, I, when I read Jesus' words there, I just thought of all the, the terrible things that have happened uh, in past times. And this sort of led me to looking up some of the catastrophes uh, that happened. Uh, The Rwanda genocide that happened in 1994. Uh, One million individuals, one million Africans were were literally slaughtered. Uh, 75 million lives were taken in World War II. 75 million lives were taken in World War II. Haiti earthquake in 2010. Over 2,000 individuals died because of that earthquake. Jesus says, it's going to be worse than them all. It's going to be worse than them all. This tribulational period is going to be unprecedented, he says. The Holocaust, 17 million Jews were slaughtered at the hands of the Germans. You guys know this. They teach it in the history classes. Jesus says, it's going to be worse than that. It's going to be worse than that. And I'm thinking, really? Really? The world's never seen such events happen. That's how Jesus describes his judgment that's going to be unleashed on the unbelieving world. Listen to Revelation chapter 6. After the sixth seal judgment is opened, listen to what the believers, or not the believers, sorry, listen to what these individuals say who are experiencing the wrath of God. I want you to really listen. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals And the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves. They hid themselves. And among the rocks of the mountains, calling out to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? Unprecedented. Unprecedented. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the tribulation period. And so that's the tribulation. What's the rapture? What's the rapture? The rapture refers to the time period in which God will gather his saints. He's going to literally take away the church by force at a time which no one knows is going to be imminent and possibly soon. Uh, Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The rapture is described there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And this really is the sort of go-to rapture text. Not the go-to rap text, the go-to rapture text, okay? Just for you guys out there. Thanks, I got some laugh out there. I was trying to get a laugh. Paul describes, Paul describes the rapture in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 16. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command, 
with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Uh, The mention of the rapture really comes from verse 17, uh, where Paul says, we will be caught up, caught up. Uh, That word that is uh, translated caught up is used 14 times in the New Testament. It has this sort of idea of snatching away of something, the sort of catching up of something. Uh, One author says uh, concerning this word, listen to what he says. He said, the word denotes a sudden, irresistible act of carrying off by force. A sudden, irresistible act of carrying off by uh, by force. Paul was telling these Thessalonians that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come one day from heaven. He's going to come one day. It's going to be loud. It's going to be loud. And he is going to gather uh, both the alive and the dead believers. And he's going to carry them away. He's going to take them away by force. And then what's going to happen after that? Well, the end of verse 17 tells us that. Look at what it says. It says, and so we will always be with the Lord. We're going, to, we're going home at the rapture. We're going to be with the Lord. We're going to be with the Lord. And this is sort of one major text to support uh, the rapture. There are also two other major rapture texts. Um, one is in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. How many of you guys knew Jesus taught on the rapture? Jesus taught on the rapture. He taught his disciples this in John chapter 14. Uh, the night before Jesus was crucified, he told his disciples that he was going to be leaving them. And this caused them great distress. I mean, they spent three years with the Lord, three, uh, night and day. And so he said he was leaving, and they were very sad. But he wanted to give them hope, and he gave them hope by talking about the rapture. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be. Jesus gave them hope as he, told, as he told them he was leaving. He says, listen, there's a possibility that I can come back and I'm gonna take you and I'm preparing a place for you in heaven. He's referring to the rapture there. The second sort of rapture text is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Again, that's the resurrection text. Uh, and Paul there talks about the rapture and really the words in 1 Corinthians 15, they're, they're almost identical to the words here in 1 Thessalonians, uh, but Paul's uh, really emphasis there in 1 Corinthians 15 is that when the church is gathered, when they're snatched away, we're gonna get our new bodies. Yeah, we're gonna get our new bodies. We're gonna get glorified bodies that are unable to sin. I mean, that just excites me. Does it not excite you at the rapture? It's coming, guys, it's coming. So putting our understanding of sort of both those terms together, the rapture and tribulation. It sort of makes sense. Pre-tribulation, before judgment, rapture, before judgment, carrying away. Pre-tribulation or rapture says that prior to God's unprecedented judgment uh, toward the unbelieving world, God's going to snatch away his saints. He's going to snatch away you and I. And so in answering the question of the night, where would the church be? Pre-tribulation or rapture says we won't be there. We won't be there. Jesus will miraculously catch us up in the sky to meet him and he will take us away forever as he unleashes his vengeance upon the earth. And guys, it is at this time that I just want to stop and pray. And I want to thank God. I want to thank God.
for the teaching in Scripture, which I'll, I'll defend after we're done praying, uh, that talks about the pre-tribulational view of the rapture. We won't have to go through the tribulation. The, the time period in which Jesus says no event is going to be able to compare to it. No event. So would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your mercy. Thank you so much for the truth that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming. He's going to descend from heaven. He's going to catch us up, and he's going to take us away with him to be with him forever. The church, the believers, the set-apart ones, God, and, and thank you that he's doing it. I know everybody's just smiling and, and really happy because you're going to do it before you unleash your unprecedented judgment upon the earth. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. Amen. Amen. So now that we've defined what pre-tribulational rapture is, is it, is it making sense to you guys? You guys got it? The, the gathering of the saints, the taking away of the saints before the tribulational period? I want to def defend it. I want to defend it biblically now. Um, and I'm going to do that by sort of giving you the three strongest reasons for why uh, the pre-tribulational uh, view of the rapture is the most consistent, uh, scripturally speaking. And obviously, if I have to defend it, there's uh, opposing views. And there are op opposing views, too, really. Uh, there's uh, a mid-tribulational view of the rapture. And this, rap and this view says that at the three-and-a-half-year point of the tribulation, uh, God's going to snatch up the saints. God's going to take away the saints. So the saints, the church is going to go through three-and-a-half years of the tribulation. And then there's a, an, another view, the post-tribulational view of the rapture, uh, that says the church is going to go through it all. It says the church is going to go through it all. And boy, don't we want that not to be true, right? <laughs> Everybody's like, yes, I'm glad you're defending pre-tribulation of you because I don't want that. Neither do I. And it's nice because the pre-tribulation of you of, of rapture, it, it truly is, guys, it's the most consistent. Um, all these views really have to answer difficult questions. But the mid and the post-tribulation of you of the rapture, they just seem to answer the fewest questions. And they seem to have the most contradictions as I come to study it. And so, again, I'm going to present the reasons for the pre-trib view. And if you have any questions, guys, seriously, if you have any questions coming off this message at the end, feel free to come to me after and talk about it. Deontay, you mentioned this. What does that mean? Deontay, you mentioned that. What does that mean? And I'll be uh, more than happy to sort of explain it to you the best I can. And, uh, and really, it's important to know, guys, that the reasons that I'm going to give for a pre-trib view they're the reasons that the other two views lack in. They, they give no answer to. And so reason number one, here we go. Reason number one for believing in a pre-trib view of the rapture is that scriptural evidence points to the absence. It points to the absence of the church during the tribulational period. I know that was long, okay? So I'm gonna do it in other words. In other words, there is no mention of the church in the New Testament in relation to the tribulational period. There's no mention of the church when the tribulational period is spoken of. And there are really just two strong scriptural evidence to support this fact. Uh, one is that there's no mentioning of the church in Revelation from Revelation chapter 4 to Revelation chapter 19. No mentioning of the church when John is writing about the tribulational period. 
And then secondly, there's no warning and there's no preparation for the church in relation to the tribulational period. Why hasn't Paul given us as believers uh, reasons and why hasn't he given us instructions on how to deal with the unbelieving world if we could possibly enter into that time of, of the tribulation? Uh, why hasn't he given us sort of commands that, that uh, tell us how we are to act and how we are to endure persecution if we have the possibility of enter in, entering into the tribulational period. And so first, there's no mention of the church in Revelation chapter 4 to about Revelation chapter 19. And most of you guys know that the book of Revelation deals a lot with end times and a lot with the tribulation. The church is mentioned 19 times. Say that again. It's mentioned 19 times in three chapters. In just three chapters, the word ecclesia, and, and listen to this, it suddenly disappears after chapter three. It disappears. It goes off the scene at the beginning of Revelation chapter four, and you ask, why is that? Why does John use the word ecclesia 19 times, and then it just sort of disappears off the scene? Well, because after Revelation chapter three, guys, Jesus begins to reveal his vengeance he begins the tribulational period. Revelation chapter 5 to Revelation chapter 8, John records the six seal judgments. Uh, Revelation chapter 8 to Revelation chapter 11, uh, John records the seven trumpet judgments. John also talks about the mentioning, or he mentions the Antichrist, which is also called the abomination of desolation. The Antichrist will be allowed by God to persecute the people of Israel in really an unfathomable way unfathomable way. John records that judgment for us there. In Revelation chapter 15 and Revelation chapter 16, it's the last of Jesus's judgments. Uh, these are known as the bold judgments. And so beginning in Revelation chapter 4, stick with me here, and continuing to Revelation chapter 19, there is fierce judgment after fierce judgment because it's talking about the tribulational period. And you would imagine that if the church was going to be present during that time, uh, that there would at least be one mentioning of them in those 16 chapters, 16 long chapters, long chapters, but there's not one mention of them. The word uh, church, the word ecclesia, uh, the last use of it is in Revelation chapter 3, verse, 23, verse 22, and it leaves the scene for 16 chapters, and then it comes at the very end when the Lord Jesus comes to establish his earthly kingdom, his earthly kingdom, and it returns in Revelation chapter 22. And so again, if the church is to experience the tribulational rapture, why does John not mention them one time in those 16 chapters? Why do they go off the scene once the tribulational period starts? And the obvious answer is because we aren't there, because they won't be there. By the time the Lord Jesus Christ begins to unleash his vengeance, after Revelation chapter 3, he would have already mercifully delivered the church up. They're gone. Guys, this is really a strong, strong evidence of a pre-tribulational view of the rapture. The absence of the word church from Revelation chapter 4 uh, to Revelation uh, chapter 19. And again, and then again, think about this, believers. How many times have you received a warning in the New Testament as you studied the New Testament uh, to prepare you for the coming rapture or for the coming tribulational period, 
for the coming tribulational period, I ask myself this. If Paul, if Peter, if John, and if other New Testament authors knew that the church would go through the tribulational period, why not warn them? Why not warn them? Why not warn us that we could face such judgment? Why not prepare them for that? Why not give them instruction about uh, how to uh, effectively evangelize to the unbelieving world? As the wrath of God is being released, we could save these people and sort of snatch them out of the fire. Why not give us instruction about that? Why not give us instruction on, on how we're, again, how we're going to endure that time period? And again, the clear answer to this is because we aren't there. We aren't there. Listen to what Jerry Ragg has to say concerning this issue. He writes, None of the New Testament epistles give any clear instruction to prepare the church for the unprecedented horrors of the tribulation. Despite all the New Testament specific teachings, both doctrinal and ethical, concerning how the church is to conduct itself in the world, there is no detailed instruction about how the church is to interact with the 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. That's mentioned in Revelation chapter 7. And he continues, he says, there is no counsel on how to face the wrath of the Antichrist. There's no teaching on how to further the gospel in the midst of divine judgments raining down upon earth. There's no interaction between uh, the organized church or the New Testament assembly and, 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 uh, and with the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11. Since the church has been given so much explicit teaching for her earthly mission that began at Pentecost, it seems beyond reasonable that she will receive some preparation for her ministry during a frightening period, end quote. He's right on. Ladies and gentlemen, take great comfort in the fact that you and I have received no instruction, no warnings concerning the tribulational period. And that is because the Lord Jesus Christ he has decided that the church won't be a part of it. They won't. It's going to precede the tribulational period. And so reason number one, scriptural evidence points to the absence of the church during the tribulational period. Reason number two, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, only makes sense with the pre-tribulational view of the rapture. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 uh, verse, uh, 2 Thessalonians, sorry, chapter 2, uh, verse 1 through 3, only makes sense with the pre-tribulational view of the rapture. So go ahead and turn to 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2. Uh, this, of course, is Paul's letter to the believers in Thessalonica. And so Paul penned this second letter to these believers. They were in some real, real uh, serious persecution. Um, and even as they stood... Uh, face-to-face with persecution, they seem to just really be enduring it, to endure it extremely well. And, and this encouraged the Apostle Paul as they endured persecution. It encouraged him, and it encouraged the believers that were around these Thessalonians. Look at chapter 1, verse 3, what Paul writes. He says, We ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you uh, f- for one another is increasing. Verse four, therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. The believers were enduring a persecution in Thessalonica. But unfortunately, as these believers endeavor to endure persecution well, 
there were apparently some individuals in the church uh, who were in their midst, and they were propagating this idea that these Thessalonians were not only just facing any type of persecution, but that they were facing the persecution. They were telling the Thessalonians, listen, guys, this persecution that you're facing, it's not normal. You're in the day of the Lord. You're in the tribulational period. And this caused the Thessalonians great distress. They were like, we're in it? We're experiencing it? Paul writes to that. Look at it, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, that's a mentioning to the rapture, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarm, or alarmed, either by spirit or spoken word or letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. The Thessalonians had been taught by Paul that the day of the Lord involved tribulation and persecution. Unfortunately, there were false teachers amongst them who were telling these believers that they were actually in and actually experiencing that tribulation. And so Paul clears up some things for them. Read verse 3 of chapter 2. He said, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Paul says, listen, guys, listen. Pay no attention to false teachers who are telling you you're actually going through the tribulational period because you're not. The day of the Lord has not come. You're not experiencing the tribulational period. Uh, Paul says, listen, there's, there has to be things that precede this. There have to be things that precede this in order for you to be in this period. Now, I want us to stop here. I want us to stop here. I know that's a lot. And I want us to think about this for a sec. What view, what view of scripture would the Thessalonians have had to have for them to be frightened uh, by the thought of being in the tribulational period? I'll ask that again. What view of the rapture would the Thessalonians have had to have for them to be frightened by the thought of actually experiencing the tribulational period? The only view that makes sense of this passage is a pre-tribulational view of the rapture. The Thessalonians understood that the rapture preceded the day of the Lord. It preceded the day where God began to reign uh, and to let out his vengeance. And they thought they had missed the rapture. They thought they missed the gathering of the saints. And Paul comforts them and says, listen, guys, you haven't missed the rapture. You haven't missed it. Uh, You aren't in the tribulational period. Think about this. If these Thessalonians didn't have a pre-tribulational view of the rapture, their worrying really wouldn't make any sense. It makes no sense. Why would you worry about something you already understand that you're going to experience and go through? Why worry about it? Why worry about the seven-year tribulation that you're now in if you already knew that you were going to go through it, whether it was half of it or whether it was all of it? Why worry? It doesn't make sense. Listen to what one Bible scholar said concerning these verses. He comments on these verses. He says, It is important to see that the Thessalonians' fear indicated that Paul had taught them that the rapture of the church precedes the final wrath of God, including the tribulation and the day of the Lord. If they had taught them that they would go through these judgment periods, they would have been rejoicing because being in them meant that the Lord's coming was near. Clearly, Paul had taught them that they would be taken up before those times, thus their confusion when they felt like they were in them. 
And so, concluding reason number two, Paul's words to the Thessalonians in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, make no sense with any other view than a pre-trib view of the rapture. So reason number three, reason number three. And this really, guys, this is the, the simplest one. God has promised to deliver the church from the tribulational period. God has promised to deliver the church from the pre-tribulational period or deliver the church from the tribulational period, sorry. And again, this is really the most concrete and the easiest to understand of all the reasons. Why do I believe in a pre-trib view of the rapture? Because God says there is a pre-trib view of the rapture. God explicitly says three times in the New Testament that the church will not experience the wrath that will be revealed in the tribulational period. You're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I want you to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Stay with me here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is Paul writing about the day of the Lord. Look at what he says. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. He says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brother, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security then sudden destruction will come upon them and as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Verse four, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for, the, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are our children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Verse seven, for those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or sleep, we might live with him. The coming uh, of the day of the Lord will catch unbelievers by surprise. The tribulational period, even though the church is raptured after and everybody, all the unbelievers are going to be looking around like, what happened? They're still, Paul says, they're still going to be caught by surprise when the day of the Lord comes. They're going to be speaking peace, peace, and then the next moment they're going to be crying out for the rocks to fall on them. But Paul says to the church in verse 4, he says, guys, listen, you are not in the darkness that day will not surprise you. The tribulational day, the tribulational period will not surprise you. And why is that? Why does Paul say that? We'll look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. He says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because God has not destined us for wrath, ladies and gentlemen, that's why it won't catch us by surprise. Simply put, because we won't be there. When the day of the Lord comes and God deals out retribution on the unbelieving world, we have, will have already been snatched away. God hasn't destined us for wrath. We ought to praise him for that. He hasn't destined us for wrath. Let me show you one more passage where God promises the believer a deliverance from the pre-tribulation period. Revelation chapter 3. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3.
And so, again, uh, most of you know that the first three chapters of Revelation is focused on the church. It's used 19 times. Uh, and specifically, uh, John was recording and, and sort of sending off letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor uh, that existed when John wrote this letter. Uh, most of those churches in Asia Minor, Asia Minor, sorry, uh, for the most part, uh, they hadn't been doing well spiritually. And so this is why the Lord Jesus Christ wanted to write some letters to them. He wanted to warn them, and he really wanted to encourage them. But though most of them weren't in a good state, spiritually speaking, uh, there was one church that seemed to be the anomaly, anomaly, and that's the church in Philadelphia. They seem to be doing well spiritually. Look at what uh, Jesus says to them in chapter 3, verse 8. He says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. These individuals were obviously facing persecution. They were in the midst of hard times. And Jesus says, listen, guys, I know you're standing firm. I know you're enduring these hard times, and you haven't denied me. Jesus was commending them for that. And he not only commended them, for that, he promised them something. Look at verse 10 of chapter 3. He says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial. That is coming on the whole world. Jesus says, listen, because you've endured, which all Christians do, he says, listen, I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial. This is not just a word to the church in Philadelphia. It's a word to us. It's a word to us. Jesus has promised to keep us from the tribulational period. He's promised it. It's a clear promise in Scripture. And so let's talk about all of our reasons, all of our reasons that we sort of went over. The first reason was because Scripture points to the absence of the church. Again, the church is not mentioned from Revelation 4 to Revelation 16 when John is really laying out the tribulational period. It's because they're not there. It's because they're not there. And furthermore, uh, there's no preparation, there's no warning in any of the New Testament epistles to the church concerning this period. It's because they won't be there. And then the second reason is that Paul's word to the second, uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 only makes sense with a pre-tribute of the rapture. It only makes sense. They were expect, they were, they, they thought they were in the judgment. They thought they were in the judgment. It only makes sense that they had an idea that they weren't going to be in it uh, if they were worrying. And then the last reason, God explicitly promised, as we just looked at, to remove the church from the pre-tribulational period. He's promised it. What a wonderful reality. What a wonderful truth. I hope all these three reasons uh, were, were clear to you, somewhat clear to you. Again, if you have questions, if you're confused about anything, uh, come visit with me after. And so what's the application? We can't leave here without applying this, this to our lives. And in, in some ways, we've already done it. We've already done it. Unbelievers, what's the application to you? Remember that the rapture, the gathering away of the saints in the air, it's for the saints. It's for believers. Only the saints will be a part of that not unbelievers. Uh, unbeliever, if the Lord Jesus Christ returns and you are still in your unbelieving state, all you should expect is his expression of his righteous indignation upon you. 
That's all you should expect. And, and I say that with, with my heart of hearts. All you should look forward to is judgment, righteous judgment. And so I would plead with you, turn, join the team, join the saints that God says he's going to deliver before he unleashes his vengeance. Join the team, unbelievers. Believers, I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18. And actually, we're going to start in verse 16. Again, this is the go-to rapture text. Paul's talking about how the church is going to be taken away. He says, starting in verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of, of the trumpet of God and the dead, and Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord forever. Again, this is the mention of the rapture. We're going to be taken away. And so what's the application to us? It's right there in verse 18. Paul says it. It's right there in verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another. Encourage one another with these words. Believers, when you're done here, when we're done singing songs and worshiping a song, encourage one another with these words. We should smile. We should be jumping for joy. We should be going out to B-dubs, going out to Applebee's, just, just laughing and smiling. And then the, the, the waiter's going to come up to us and say, why are you guys so chipper? We're going to say, because, lady or man, we won't be in the tribulational period. <laughs> we won't be there. Praise God. Praise God. Believers, encourage one another with this truth. Seriously, I mean this. I was so encouraged. When you get, when you get weighed down, when you get tired, just remember the Lord Jesus Christ, he's coming back for us, and he's going to take us away. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, guys. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for this truth. I laugh. I smile because I'm so full of joy, Lord. I know you haven't destined us for wrath. I know you will deliver us from the hour of trial. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for delivering us from the time that you're going to inflict your judgment on the earth, God. All we should do is fall down and praise you. You, you continue to prove your mercy to us, Lord. And really, when we think about this, this teaching in, in Scripture, that's called the pre-tribulation rapture, it's, 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 just, it's just your mercy, Lord. We don't deserve it. All we deserve is your wrath. God, but you haven't destined us for it. You, you've called us out of the world. You've saved us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for, for saving us. We praise you, Lord. Again, this is all for your glory. It's all for your praise, Lord. And will we do so tonight as we continue to worship? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.